Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live <laughs> from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links, and now your host, Mr. Mike Heck. <laughs> uh, I have no words. The iconic voice of Mr. Esterlin welcomes you to a brand new edition. <laughs> Up between the links here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you for joining us once again this week. A lot to discuss coming out of UFC 258 this past Saturday night. The UFC is back with another card this Saturday with the heavyweight division on the marquee. And of course, for those watching right now, we invite you to feel free to join in on the conversation. Let us know how you're scoring these rounds. We'll get the best comments in the chat up on the screen. And with that said, let us introduce the Verbal Gladiators this week. First, making his inaugural appearance here in 2021. Multiple-time winner on the program from MMAfighting.com, the host of the A-Side live chat, the challenger, Mr. Jose Youngs. How are you, sir? Welcome back. I had no idea I had been on Between the Links 11 times, and I can't even remember all the times I lost because they weren't losses. As you all know, the last time I was on, I was unjustly robbed of a victory because Casey decided to side with, I believe it was Fight Circus rather than, I think it was Thanksgiving. Jed said he was thankful for Fight Circus and I said, you know what? I'm thankful that I'm not dead from a pandemic in case he was like overrated. Fight Circus trumps being alive during a pandemic. So yes, it should say eight and three. If anything, it should say 11 and no. Let's not get it. Let's not get it mixed up. Well, there you go. And now we introduce the reigning defending BTL champion looking to make it three straight wins. He went 2-0 against Steven Morocco. New opponent this week. Let us say hello to one of the OGs in the MMA media space, the editor-at-large over at Sherdog, Mr. Josh Gross. How's it going, champ? It's it's good. I think it's always a good strategy to talk crap about the judges before you fight. That's always a good way to do it. And uh, I'm, you know, I have no problem with the judging so far. I think it's been great. So I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. But uh, good to be back and uh, look forward to uh, talking to somebody other than Steven. Uh, we played that one out, so this will, this will be good. There you go. All right, let's get right into this thing. We're gonna start with the 
welterweight champion of the world in the UFC. Kamara Usman successfully defends his title against Gilbert Burns. A lot of storylines attached to the fight, as we talked about last week. Usman gets dropped in the first round. He overcomes it, weathers the storm, and was absolutely phenomenal the rest of the way en route to a third-round finish, hashtag and still. Josh, we're going to begin with you. Usman looked great, man, and it's always good to see a champion and a guy like Usman who has been so dominant go through some adversity, come back the way he did. So let me ask you this. What was your biggest takeaway from his title defense on Saturday? What about it impressed you the most? You know, his intensity. I, I think he brings that every time he shows up, but there was an intensity to watching him fight Gilbert Burns that I hadn't really felt since the Covington fight. I mean, really since he was in, in uh, a war against Colby Covington. This is something that Kamara Usman exudes this intensity is a unique trait of his. And I, I think that it's really a key ingredient for his success and what he's done and where he's going to go in his career. And why people are not talking about him is, you know, is he the greatest welterweight of all, all time? If you want to have the discussion, people feel validated enough in his performances. Uh, it's certainly, you know, you, you show up and you do what you do to Gilbert Burns and, and you stand up to a guy who's extremely tough. Um, just the, he wears everything on his sleeve. And I guess that includes his intensity. I, I really appreciate that, that about Kamar Usman. What you see is what you get with him. That's been my experience speaking to him and watching him fight. He lets you know who he is and he shows up. And I, I think that's what impressed me most on Saturday night. Jose, what did you think? What was like, what was your biggest takeaway? What impressed you the most? Well, the, what impressed me the most is what, what pretty much what Josh says, the, the intensity that we hadn't really seen this, this fact that Usman has fought with a chip on his shoulder for so long. We all remember the 30, I fought at 30% and this and that. And the fact that that chip hasn't gone away, he compares himself to Michael Jordan. He wa he's watching the last dance, this and that. Take what you want. But my biggest thing is, in terms of the greatness of Kamara Usman, we've seen this trend before. Because remember, Tyron Woodley had that awesome fight against Stephen Thompson, UFC 205. That was a draw. Epic fight. We can compare that to the Kamar Usman Colby Cummings fight. All of a sudden, it's a great fight. They both get to keep their belts. Yes, one was a draw, but they were both fight of the night. It's one of the best fights of the years. The follow-up performance was not great for either man. Tyron Woodley fought, uh, rematched Stephen Thompson, and say what you want with that fight. Uh, I don't have a problem if you liked it or disliked it, but it was not positively received by the fans. Same with Kamar Usman when he followed that up against Hori Masvidal. Everyone likes – he dominated that fight. Everyone complained about the foot stomps and the hugging and this and that. Oh, you Masvidal only took it on six days and you couldn't finish him. And he was getting the snoozeman treatment, the, all that kind of stuff, the Kamaru Dean jabs at him, and everyone was basically anti-Kamaru Usman. Can't wait for you to lose the belt. He goes out there and just stops Gilbert Burns, a la Tyron Woodley, stopping Darren Till in Dallas. And all of a sudden, we're having a conversation. Is Kamar Usman greatest welterweight of all time? We're having that same conversation about Tyron Woodley after he did that in Dallas and he got his black belt, Dana White. Didn't even do the press conference. He was so mad that Tyron Woodley won. And then what happened? Tyron Woodley lost to Kamar Usman. So if we're going to have this conversation about Kamar Usman being the best, I want to see him. I want to see the next performance. I want to see him dominate again. I want to see him have another stoppage victory. And then we can legitimately talk about is Kamar Usman. I would still put him second or third right now. He's third on my totem pole. But if he can get another impressive win and do what Tyre Woodley hasn't done, then yes, I can put him comfortably number two greatest welterweight of all time. I was impressed by the way Kamara was able to 
uh, compartmentalize like all the different emotions going into the fight. Like one kind of like Jose mentioned, you're, you're fighting with the chip on your shoulder, people, the, the snoozeman, all this stuff Two, he's fighting a teammate and a friend of his and trying to like overlook that and downplay it and able to just take his emotions and put it in the right spot. Man, I thought that was so impressive from Kamara Usman. The guy is just, he just gets it right now. He gets it from a competitive standpoint. So he has that great performance and he's dealing with a lot of emotions. Like we talked about, you know, dealing with fighting with, with Gilbert Burns, obviously it was very emotional at the end. He gets on the microphone after the victory and he did something that not a lot of champions necessarily do. He had a name in mind. He called somebody out. And not only that, he called out somebody he already beat as Jose mentioned in Jorge Masvidal. So Jose, a lot of people in social media land, I guess, didn't look too fondly upon this call out. What did you think of Usman's approach following his big win in title defense? I get it. You already beat him. You want to move on. There's the Leon Edwards and the, the Stephen Thompson's and the Colby Covington's of the world that people want to see. But I, so I get why people are upset. I had absolutely no problem in the call out because a, they're prize fighters at the end of the day, who's the biggest name you could get. It's Covington Masvidal. Already stopped. He broke Colby Covington's jaw. Say what you want about Colby Covington's stick. It's probably not going to land as hard in 2021 now that his most of his gimmick is kind of out the door right now. Um, and if he's going to coach tough, which a lot of people want him to do, that will allow the division to play out because I even asked Kamar Usman at the, at the press conference, like, you look at the top five, Kamar Usman's pretty much fought them all, and no one else has fought each other. Like, Colby Covington and Masvidal haven't fought. Colby Covington, uh, Edwards, Masvidal, Edwards. Like, Ma Covington burns, Masvidal burns. Like, no one is fighting each other, and he wants activity. If he wants to coach tough against Masvidal, the rivalry is there. The, the belt is going to be on the line after and just let the division play out. I have no problem with it. If they want to do that with Colby Covington, too, I have no problem with it. But the actual Masvidal call-out, no issues considering they're prize fighters and that's probably the biggest names he can get and get the most zeros at the end of his check because if you're going to get in a fist fight for entertainment at least fight for the at least maximize your paycheck entering that fight josh what do you think what, what do you think of usman having a name ready calling somebody out a guy that he beat less than a year ago yeah not what you expect from a champion especially someone who's always talked about competition and and you know winning being the most important factor in the formula that he's trying to create I think if you're uh, if you're going to take issue with him calling out Masvidal, then you had take issue with so much other stuff in the sport, right? Because there are so many entertainment factors that come along with mixed martial arts. Um, he's he's making the smart play, and I guess that's the one thing about Usman that's been consistent throughout. Like he is a smart character. He understands what he wants to accomplish, how to get there, what's the best way to do it. And he does it his own way. So I think he's extremely comfortable in mapping out this vision of Masvidal for himself. Uh, George is a big money fight. People will still have interest in that. I think most intelligent fight watchers are going to feel like, you know, George doesn't have a great chance in that fight. We, we saw it and Usman's been so great. And so I think that'll add a layer to this that helps Masvidal, really. You know, if he walks in freewheeling, having nothing to lose, that, that's a good thing for him, and it may make him more dangerous. I don't, I don't see it happening. I think it's really what sets up for him in the next two years. You know, if we are going to talk about him as the greatest of all time, it's not because he stops George Masvidal after stopping uh, Gilbert Burns and Colby Covington. It's because he racked up defenses. You know, GSP did it nine times. 
He's still far away from that. It's going to be another two, three years, likely, probably longer based on the trajectory of the, the, the sport, how often fighters can actually step in the cage, injuries and everything else. If he's going to accomplish that, we're going to be talking about Kamar Usman at 36 or 37 trying to break GSP's record. You know, and, and that it makes sense that you want to fight guys that you probably can beat now. I think he sees that in Masvidal. Let the rest of the welterweight division, which is a bit scrambled, sort itself out. Another contender to emerge. I think we'll get it in this uh, Bilal Muhammad, Nate Edwards fight, and and then let it play out from there. But um, you know, don't don't dismiss Usman's sort of game planning here. He's gaming out the scenario. I, I think all of it's intentional. He knows exactly what he wants and what makes sense for him. And so in that way, I think it's difficult to criticize. Yeah, no issue with the call whatsoever. Uh, obviously, a big gift for for Mr. Gamebred, but like you guys both said, it's the biggest money fight you can make at 170. It sort of forces the rest of the division to get things cracking, as the kids say. So I have no issue with it, as long as it's something we're not waiting until like December for. Like I know there's reports out there the UFC's looking at August. These guys may be hosting tough. I could care less about the whole tough thing. Honestly, I just want to see the fight and – as soon as possible like if you do it in august no later than the summertime because if we wait till like november december then it's a waste of time and hope i assume the division will play itself up by then but josh and jose i kind of want to go back to like where we rank usman in this in, in this list you mentioned josh like two to three years and i i think a, a lot of people have a hard time like comparing the two because there's like gsp's run which is impressive nine nine wins nine defenses, 11 championship wins. I mean, in a lot of people's minds, he's the greatest fighter of all time. But the, the counter argument to a lot of this is that the sport has evolved so much in the last 10 years, five years, so to speak. So maybe Usman's road to getting there is much quicker than, than many would think. So do you think Usman like has to at least like catch GSP's numbers in terms of title defenses and title fight wins, or can he get there sooner than that? Just based on the, the, the opposition that he's going to be sharing the octagon with. Not against the current opposition that we're looking at. I mean, over the next two to three years, who's, he's going to fight a Leon Edwards or Bilal Muhammad, maybe a Michael Chiesa, maybe a Vicente Luque. Maybe you have young kids coming up. Uh, Jeff Neal, you know, gets back on track and wins or who, who knows what happens to Hamza Shemaya, right? You're looking like deep in the pool, guys like Sean Brady or Miguel Baeza. It's like who knows who he's going to fight. Really, I don't. It's he's got to rack up the wins. Uh, there's not a name out there. It's not you know the welterweight division has always been really important in terms of dominance and competition. That's how we've defined greatness in this weight class more than any other weight class in the UFC. Uh, started with Pat Militich, Matt Hughes. Clearly, you know we know what GSP did, and now it's Kamar Usman's time. And Woodley had a chance. It didn't work out for him. Um, so I think he's got to rack up those wins more than anything. Um, it's uh, he's still not there for me. He is a great fighter. And quite honestly, you know, I people may take issue. I don't I don't know, whatever. But the sport is not that much more advanced from now than it was 10 years ago. You take a Matt Hughes in his prime or you take a GSP in his prime clearly and you put him against Kamaru Usman. And that is a war and a hell of a fight. In fact, I think GSP right now is among the handful of people on the planet, maybe among the top two, maybe the number one toughest test for Kamaru Usman. That's how much I think of George St. Pierre, even at this time away from the cage, all that sort of stuff that we know about his life right now. So no, I don't buy that GSP was fighting lesser competition or that the guys today are more advanced for Usman and we should factor that in. It is longevity and dominance and con continuing to win and not lose. Th those are the things that define this weight class and that's what Usman has to reckon with. 
What do you think, Jose? Is this a, is this a numbers game or does Usman, is there like the competition, can it match what GSP did in, on his resume to get there sooner? It's uh GSP is a little different, I think, because he, he, well, it's, and not, it's not Kamar Usman's fault. Like every loss George had, he's avenged. And that's been a big narrative, like Matt Sayers and Matt Hughes. So he's faced adversity and he's overcome that. Kamar Usman outside of his fight against Colby Covington hasn't really been in these barn burner wars. And he hasn't really had that person that pushed him. Like remember GSP and Josh Koscheck, like that was a bit of rivalry, like Nick Diaz. And then even then he's like, oh, I'll fight Dan Hardy wins four in a row. I'll fight Dan Hardy. And then I'll rematch Josh Koscheck. I'll welcome Jake Shields in from Strike Force. Oh, Carl. Condit beats Nick Diaz. I think Nick Diaz won. I'll still fight Carlos Condit. Harder fight. And then I still want to fight Nick Diaz because he's the bigger name. Oh, I fought this big money fight. I'll still go back and take a lesser big, a less fight. And I, when I say less fight, I don't mean Johnny Hendricks at the time wasn't a big fight. It's like Nick Diaz was such a big star. And Johnny Hendricks was just racking up wins and deservedly so got the title shot. So GSP had a lot of these things put in front of him that Kamaru Usman just hasn't faced yet. Like the Gilbert Burns fight. I was talking about this in the media room uh, during this fight. Like, it's just refreshing for a champion to fight the number one contender when there's no issue or beef or money fight. I think that's why – that's what made Max Holloway such an entertaining champion. That's what made Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, like Matt Hughes, like, next person up, I will fight you. And Kamar Usman will get there. But just he's not there yet. So uh, wins will do it. But I think there's a lot of other factors. Also, the UFC has has to do an event in Africa. Like imagine George St. Pierre without Canada, without the Canadian support, without fighting in Montreal and in Toronto. Like uh, what was the I can't even remember the event. Like we fought Jake Shields. It was the biggest event attended in the history of the, of the UFC. So he needs that. He needs that image of like Connor knocking out Diego Brandao in Ireland, Darren Till uh, beating Stephen Thompson in Liverpool. Like he needs that epic performance in front of his home crowd. And it's not his fault. There's a pandemic going on right now. Who knows when Africa will even be ready, the infrastructure of sorts to hold an event like that. But he can get there. Wins will help. But there's a lot of other factors that need to play into it too. Yeah. Kamara Usman, in my mind, he's like the intercontinental champion of, of the UFC. He's in like a very, a great division, very talented division, but it's really hard to like get to that level, you know, of the all time greats, unless you do a ton of work and spend a lot of time, you know, notching off those wins. So, but the scary thing about Kamara Usman, he's getting better. He's getting better with every single fight. It's crazy. Josh, you look to get something to say. Do you want to, do you have to try, you want to chime out something? No, I'm just, I'm just paying attention to you, Mike. Good stuff. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about 258 and the welterweight division in a matter of moments. But the point for round one goes to. The champion on the board. One to nothing. Good matchup. Good matchup here. Where's the. There it is. So waiting to make it official. And uh, there you go. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. 
So let's let's talk the co-main event. We talked about the main event. Let's talk about the co-main event. Alexa Grasso flying under the radar in terms of build and promotional value on Saturday night at UFC 258. She takes on Macy Barber. First fight in 13 months. It was kind of the Barber show heading in. A lot of people were intrigued about her following the knee injury, the recovery. And Grasso just sort of tiptoed through fight week and uh, delivered a damn good performance on Saturday and gets the decision win. So, Jose, we're going to start with you with this question. How much did Alexa Grasso's stock rise, in your opinion, on Saturday night with that performance and that victory over Macy Barber? Unfortunately, not a whole lot. Because if you watch the post-fight press conference, I started to ask Dana White, so Alexa Grasso, and then he cut me off and said, she's great. Macy Barber's a gangster, though, and then started to talk about Macy Barber. So the president of the company that you're fighting for is talking about the opponent you just beat. Unfortunately, your stock rose maybe in the eyes of the fans. But the only one that matters in terms of your next career moving forward is probably Dana White, unfortunately, uh, and the matchmakers like uh, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby. So when the powers that be are still praising the person that you just beat i think not handily but it was a very entertaining fight biggest win of her career in terms of name record name value unfortunate unfortunately probably not a whole lot uh flyweight division uh is not is not the deepest division in the world right now there's a few fights that have to happen at the top of the uh the weight class to begin with so alexa grasso probably went up maybe a notch or two but didn't take like if Macy Barber had won, it would have been phew, she she would have been right back into these big fights. And unfortunately for Alexa Grasso, probably not the same thing. What do you think, Josh? I don't know what you've seen on social media in regards to Alexa Grasso, but how much did her stock rise in your eyes? Um, I, you know, I think I think uh, Jose said a lot of right things there. You know, Dana White is kind of not like not really paying attention to your victory and paying more attention to the other side of the card which is certainly not something that's rare. That's happened quite often. Uh, you know, you have to get back to work, get back to the grind and show yourself in a cage again and deliver the kind of performance that she did against Macy Barber on her next opponent. So in a lot of ways, I think probably sort of in a holding pattern, but in other sense, competitively, the kind of skill she showed coming together as a mixed martial artist. Yeah, this was a step forward for Alexa Grasso, this victory. Sure, Macy Barber was coming off a 13-month delay. You know, had been out of the cage for a while. You never really know what you're going to get, but she showed up to knock somebody's head off. Very physical for Grasso to uh, handle that, work around that, show her sophistication. I think all of those were good things. You heard the way they were talking about her on the broadcast, uh, talking about, uh, you know, she might be the best boxer, female boxer that could go into boxing, all these sorts of things. So there are some expectations now building around Alexa Grasso. And the fact that she is uh, Mexican is, is no small thing. I, I was in Los Angeles at the Shriner uh, when uh, Invicta promoted a fight where Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta showed up really to watch Alexa Grasso uh, and, and a few other fighters. And, you know, they were they were high on her after that night. And so there still is that, I think, lingering idea of what she can bring, what she can build in terms of an audience. Maybe it's not there. Maybe it's not so obvious for Dana to want to promote it. Uh, and who knows what's going on behind the scenes, potentially. But um, I, I certainly think this is a fighter who has a lot of marketability. And more than anything, she had to win and show her potential. She did that against Barber. I think she has a lot more in the tank. Uh, and the way she's mixing up the striking and going into grappling suggests that she's not going to be a pushover for just a stylistic pushover in this weight class. She's here to stay. And the lack of a weight cut, one last point on this, who I think was a big deal, and, and Joe Rogan was right to highlight this, um, not having to cut down to 115 is a big deal for her. Fighting at 125, I think, gives her new life. And so people are now starting to see this in Grasso, who very young fighter, lots of potential still. So 
I do think that she gained from this performance quite a bit. But again, you know, you probably want your boss talking about it. And I boss thing bugs me, but you probably want your promoter promoting you after you have a big fight. And, uh, you know, she didn't get enough of that. She's got to do it on her own. I, I think she can. Yeah, I mean, it, it sucked to watch her cut to 115 and kind of just kill herself to get there. But the fight she had at 115 definitely set her up for where she's at right now. So I think that was kind of a big, big bonus heading into this fight. So I'm excited to see where Alexa Grasso does go from here. But on the flip side, we got Macy Barber, 22 years of age. She's made some bold proclamations. She put her goals and aspirations out there for the world to see and hear. You know, had this countdown for becoming the youngest champion in UFC history. Then you have the loss to Roxanne, the injury, and then getting on the microphone after that loss, kind of stealing some shine from Roxanne. And fans have been kind of turning against her since then. They actually were like celebrating her loss on Saturday, Josh. They were like kind of dancing on her on, on the lack of parade here. So let me ask you this, Josh, what have you made of how fans are viewing Macy Barber now and how big of a, of a stock drop did she have on Saturday? People are not stupid, right? They can identify when a fighter comes along that the UFC really likes. And, you know, sometimes you get these fighters who make good on that and, and fans learn to love them and watch their career. And she still has a long career in front of her, but it's been obvious that she's been pushed and obvious that she was given matches that she was meant to look good in, especially the Roxanne fight, who I think everybody feels like, oh, you're going to, you know, put you're going to put Roxanne down. You're too much of an athlete. It didn't happen for her that way. In fact, it went totally the opposite. And so I think people are right to identify how she was built up, how she talked about herself and hold it against her. I think that's totally fair to do. Uh, she wants to be the youngest champion ever. She wants to be the best ever. She wants to do this. You got to show up and win. And, and now we've seen two fights where she didn't do it. Uh, lots of potential there. We see the power. We see all these attributes that attract people. And they want it. They want that. The UFC wants to capitalize on those things, but she's got to show up and win. And when they don't, I think fans are, you know, right to rub it in her face because they feel like, you know, she wasn't very kind to Roxy after that win. She's not really talked to accurately about where she is or has an accurate reflection on what she's going to do in her career. Yeah. I'll hold it against her when she doesn't live up to that. And they're well within their rights to do it. So um, again, a very young fighter, someone with a lot of potential and a lot of room to grow. And she still may very well end up where the people who brought her into the company feel like she would end up one day. They're, you know, you, they identify certain fighters as feel like this is going to be a champion. And they certainly signed Macy Barber to be a champion. She's got a lot of weight to go. She's got a lot of time to go. You know, we'll, we'll see if she pulls it off or not. But um, I, I think fans holding it against her, not too surprising considering all of that. What do you think, Jose? Do you think it's more because Macy has been so vocal about, you know, what she wants to do and her predictions in the sport? Or do you think it's more like Josh said, like the UFC kind of put Macy Barber in like a Roman Reigns position where they were just kind of like shoving us, shoving her down our throats. And, you know, we're going to push, 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 push. She's going to be a champion. Like, or do you think it's a combination of the two? I think those are factors, but not the biggest factors. I think uh, let's not forget, when Macy Barber first burst on the scene, she beat Hannah Cyphers uh, in, in her UFC debut, barely made weight in this and that. But then she's calling out uh, Mackenzie Dern, Paige Van Zant, Montana De La Rosa, so like very specific fighters. Basically, if you have a million Instagram followers, Macy Barber is going to call you out. And then she did that whole weird like fake DM thing with Paige Van Zant's husband where she like photoshopped a DM that he allegedly had sent her, which wasn't true, and put it out there. So that didn't do her any favors. Also, let's not forget 
the whole scandal with her, like, is she a black belt? Is she not a black belt? Henry Gracie saying the girls are not representing their actual jujitsu rank. Are they teaching classes as a fake black belt? Are they selling black belts or whatever the, the situation was? So all that drama is adding on to a, like she's talking a big game and she's not backing it up. So yes, everything Josh says, everything you said are absolutely factors. But there's a lot of other things that go into it, too. I think the the fake black belt thing really rubs a lot of people the wrong way, especially because in mixed martial arts, the terms martial arts is in there. And there are a lot of legitimate black belts in this sport that probably took massive issue with it. So and then she goes out there and gets absolutely dominated by Roxanne Modafari, an incredibly high level uh, jujitsu practitioner. It's just not a good look for someone that's talking. And like she, she took the, she tried to take the blueprint of like the Jail Sons, Ben Askrens, come in here, talk all this greasiness, and become a money fighter right away. And she just didn't back it up. Ben Askren would lose, and then he would his losses. He would, he would like even when he lost to Masvidal, like his first tweet was like, "Well, that sucked" or something like that. So, and then he wasn't defending his actions. Like, yeah, I probably deserved it, and everyone kind of forgave him. Macy Barber didn't do that. She like you, like like you and Josh said. Wasn't that nice to Roxy after Roxy is one of the most beloved fighters on the roster in terms of fan and with the fans. So yeah, Macy Barber didn't do herself any favors, uh, but still is a great fighter. Hits real hard, is super young, and I think she'll figure it out eventually. But right now, uh, yeah, fans are real sour on her. Yep, they they certainly are, and I, I mean, there's so much potential in her. I mean, she's such an animal, and she's got power. And when you weigh, and you're a 125 pounder, and you got that kind of power, if you can add those other tools to your game and put it all together, you're going to be a tough out for anybody. So, I understand why people are, are are hard on her, but hopefully, 22 years old, people can kind of ease off a little bit as time goes by. But it's up to her to kind of change that narrative. So that's the co-made of it. As far as the rest of the card goes, Jose. Some big wins, some big performances throughout the night. In terms of like the best of the rest, who low key stole the show on Saturday night in your mind? Like, what was your biggest takeaway outside of the major storylines heading into the event coming out of it? I mean, the answer is Anthony Hernandez. He he went in against Rodolfo Vieira, who is an ADC black belt who looks like an action figure. And if you look at the odds, he was a thirty to one. It was thirty to one. For him to win by submission. And our own Guillermo Cruz, our shout out to Guillermo, he did the math. He is the first person in 20 years in the UFC to submit an ADC champion. The last one to do it was Frank Mir in 2001. So Fluffy Hernandez stole the show. And I was all excited to talk to him. Like, you just submitted Rodolfo Vieira in 2021. What's that mean? He goes, I don't know. I didn't watch Jiu-Jitsu. So I guess it's a big deal. And then he shouts out to Venmo. <laughs> Anyone who bet on me, send me money. So, yes. The answer is Anthony Hernandez. Uh, the big win, the beating the odd. Dana White, as we just said, unfortunately, you have to impress him in your fights, which, again, is real unfortunate that I have to say that. Dana White was all smiles talking about Anthony Hernandez. So got the boss's attention, was the massive underdog, some, did the, something that hadn't been done in two decades. So, yeah, Anthony Hernandez, big winner from last Saturday. What do you think, Josh? Is is Fluffy your low-key guy, or is there somebody else that stuck out to you that you want to mention? Uh, it's a great answer, and, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying Anthony Hernandez, but the, the answer is Julian Marquez. I mean, how can it not be Julian Marquez? Like, not only did he have an incredibly, like, demanding fight that required him to pull off a, a third-round finish that he did in spectacular fashion. That choke was ridiculous. 
against a guy who was super hard to choke. Nike Patolo was fighting, hand fighting, and so calm earlier in the fight. Like, it is not easy to catch him in an anaconda choke, and he caught him in the third round. And the fitness that Marquez had coming back the way he did, the time off that he had, all that stuff is Julian Marquez. And then you, like, he does the call out, right? And all the stuff after the fight, everything with Miley Cyrus, all that nonsense. It has to be Julian Marquez. <laughs> I don't know how it couldn't be anybody but him. He screwed it up, and you can take it and you can hold it against them. And he did all this stupid stuff. And he went, you know, he met, he, he's trying to redeem himself now. And he had a chance maybe to do something really big. And instead, he got called out and dogged out by Molly, Miley Cyrus. Fine. But, uh, you know, based on what he did in the cage and then everything afterwards, even though he was wacky sort of in the post fight uh, interview, and, and, you know, he was a goofball, but, um, I don't know. I don't know how it couldn't be him. Anthony Hernandez was awesome, but um, it, it's Julian Marquez. Both excellent answers. And Julian Marquez, I, I compared his like follow up the the renegotiation with Miley to like Kramer on Seinfeld when he has when he's about to win the lawsuit after the car accident with the woman wearing the bra, <laughs> and, and the caddy tells him have her try the bra on. And he, he was like, nah, he goes, I got this covered. Don't you worry about it. I got this, I got this planned. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. So we'll see what happens there. I'm rooting for Julia Marquez. How can you not like that guy? But, uh, you know, we, it's funny. We talked about this card Two, this was not the star studded affair. 257 was, or that 259 is, but UFC 258 was a pretty good card. There's reports out there. It did in the neighborhood of 500,000 pay-per-view buys. And if that is in fact the case, that is a huge win in my eyes, no doubt about it. But we will move on from UFC 258. And the point for round two goes to... The man with the very decorative shirt. Jose Young's the challenger has even things up. <laughs> this, is <a> good, there you <laughs> go. this is a good battle. This is a good battle. All right, so now we're going to uh, go back to the 170-pound division because... The rest of this division is kind of up in the air. At least it was coming out of Saturday. And Josh, you kind of, we kind of look at this division. All right. So we have Usman and Mazadal kind of tied together. We have Leon Edwards, who lost his opponent for March 13th and Hamzat Shemaev, which went down while we were live here last week. He wanted the title shot, Mazadal, Covington, or even Nate Diaz. But he now has a fight for March 13th. He's going to fight Bilal Muhammad, who can shake things up in a big way. So before we get to the rest of this division, your thoughts on the matchmaking, Leon Edwards making the decision to stay on this card, Bilal Muhammad stepping up. What did you think of that whole thing? Um, good all the way around. I mean, there's, you know, great that Leon Edwards gets to keep his fight, keep that date. He desperately needs to compete, earn a paycheck. For Bilal Muhammad, it's like, you know, it is the UFC ethos. You strike while the iron's hot. You literally fight. You literally get to step in and, and get a big opportunity against a ranked contender. So all of that's a, a big deal and a big positive for both of them. No issues with this fight. I, I think everybody in the division needs to fight right now if they can. Uh, and so it's good to see Leon back. Uh, you know, obviously unfortunate that uh, Hamza Chmaev and all of that, but uh, the division keeps on rolling. I think for Bilal Muhammad, this is a good fight. Uh, he he needs to prove that he can handle a guy who can defend a takedown and can strike from the outside and is longer and leaner and, and, and a difficult style fight for him. You know, that pressure, will it pay off? We'll see. It's going to have to. But I, I like this all the way around for everybody, including the UFC. No issues whatsoever. 
What do you think, Jose? Because you mentioned Anthony Hernandez as the low-key winner of UFC 258. Josh mentioned Julian Marquez. Maybe he was below Muhammad after all, because now look at the fight he gets. He gets Leon Edwards in a main event. So what do you think of the matchmaking? It's uh, a good point. I don't I I forgot that Bilal Muhammad even fought on that card and I interviewed him after just because it was it was a great fight. But, you know, got got the the biggest fight outside of the Hamza and the Colby Cummings and is probably Leon Edwards right now. So uh, and he gets he gets the main event spot. And it's it's interesting because I brought this up. Uh, like, well, he brought it up and then we kind of chatted about that. It's like a week or so after Benil Darius brought up, brought this phrase, high risk, low reward in the rankings where he's at a lightweight. And Bilal Muhammad said, that is me. I'm low ranked. I'm super dangerous. I'm not the biggest name. I'm not going to go out there and just start you. I'm just going to be the better martial artist. And that doesn't always get the big fights. And the, the Hamza thing was brought up where he's, he hasn't even fought a legitimate welterweight in the UFC yet. And he was sitting at 15 and Bilal Muhammad was like, I just want to be active. I'll call out Lee Julian because it makes sense because I know I'm not going to get Colby Covington. So he was being realistic. And then he gets Leon Edwards' fight, so I absolutely love it. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Leon Edwards finally gets a UFC paycheck after, what, like 400, 500-something days. So, yes, love the matchmaking all around. Uh, good for Bill Al-Muhammad and good for Leon Edwards to finally get in there. We had a commenter, It's Jay, a big fan of Jose's shirt, and that's uh, that's good to see. People uh, that know, know. There you go. All right, so that's one piece of the puzzle. We have... Colby Covington, who only seems to want Usman or Masvidal. We got Wonderboy Thompson, who wants, who wanted the Leon Edwards fight. He told me if Leon could have waited till May, that would have worked out for him. Not going to happen, obviously, because he's injured. He also wants the title fight, as you've seen. Now we have Michael Chiesa. He said he'll be ready in July after beating Neil Magny. And now Gilbert Burns is kind of back in the mix, falling UFC 259. And that guy is such a gangster. He's already back in the gym and working. The guy is just an animal. So, Josh just outside of the Leon Edwards Bala Muhammad fight. What do you make of this welterweight division right now? And the fact that putting fights together with a lot of these big names, there's just not a lot of movement here. There hasn't been. That's why I was talking earlier about just let's get them rolling, get them fighting. I think we even, it's very similar to the discussion we had in the first time I was on this show. We we're talking about the lightweight division, get them fighting, get them rolling. There's enough good fighters in that weight class, people who need action, let him sell, sort itself out. Um, you know, I, I know Dana White was talking about lightweight as it's not a tournament, but it's kind of a tournament. They need to think of welterweight in similar terms. It's, it's not a tournament, but it's kind of a tournament. You need to show up. There's also some really young prospects I think you have to be intrigued by in, the, in this weight class. Um, and, and some some veterans, like I don't know, if, is, does Carlos Condit have it in him to make another run? You know, two or three wins maybe. Is he a guy that sort of gets jumped up there? You know, I, I think there's some potential maybe for some old names that people are fond of to come back. Uh, but this is really a, a weight class that I think uh, um, stylistically always rough and tumble. Um, you know, you can't you can't count on anyone except the champion. It seems like other than the champion who who always seemed to have sustained dominance in this weight class, underneath it it was always a churning pool. I feel the same way about 170. It's very deep. Uh, you you look at some of the names. I mean, there's no question about it. So um, I, I think I think first and foremost. You get him going, which is why it's so good that Leon Edwards is still on this March card. And now Bal Muhammad's can sort of advance or say, hey, you know, I'm not part of this, you know, tournament as I sort of framed it. But, you know, let let the results speak for themselves. And I, and I think it certainly will sort itself out. And Kamar Usman can't be calling out specific contenders. This was a sort of a one time thing. He's got to accept who's ever there. Just take that fight. There's enough fighters to step in and, and give him a challenge. 
Uh, and I, I think we'll see that activity over the next uh, 18 months, 24 months. Hope so, because the fans and everybody else will benefit if this division is that active. And I expect it to be that way. What do you think, Jose? I mean, we got between Usman and Mazadal, and now between Leon Edwards staying on this card. Do you think that's enough to get the Colbys and, and all these other guys up and running? Like, I understand Wonder Boy being injured. That's why he's not fighting. He just fought in December, so it's not the end of the world. Uh, Kiesa just fought. He's getting married, so July seems to be a thing for him. I, he may have an injury of some sort. But Covington seems to be like the big piece of the puzzle. The guy is ranked number one, but it is like almost impossible to get him in the octagon unless it's something that he desires. So, I mean, is it? what do you think happens here? Like, how do we get these guys going? Because now we're seeing Bilal make a move. And last year at middleweight, we saw guys like Kevin Holland and Marvin Vittori really shake things up at 85. What do you think? Like, what do you make of like some of these guys just not getting active here, especially Colby? It's the it, activity is going is going make stars right now in the year of our Lord 2021. That is what is going to make stars. Like we like you brought it up, Marvin Vittori, Kevin Holland took these opportunities and ran with them. Like Kevin Holland, a lot of people thought was the fighter of the year in 2020. Like Davison Figueredo became the first champion to f- defend his belt in back-to-back months because the UFC needed him. Like these guys were company men and they went and did it. And even uh, Davidson Figueroa had all these issues with Dana White. Like, oh, I didn't get the bonus. Oh, I want more money. Oh, I'm going to fly back to Brazil. And Dana White just basically gave him what he wanted to get that title shot. I mean, not to get to, to get another title fight in there in December. So activity matters. And we were talking about Leon Edwards being the odd man out. Right now, it's probably Colby Covington because if Usman and Masvidal fight, if Leon Edwards beat, uh, beats Bilal Muhammad, you'd have to assume that he's going to get the title fight uh, just because he's doing the UFC a favor. Like like I've, I've said this a million times, Kamaru Usman, when he fought Tyron Woodley, was it should have been Colby Covington. He was at the time the interim champ. It was all of that beef with Tyron Woodley. So say what you want about the gimmick. He still deserved it just based on what he did in the octagon. But Kamaru Usman cut weight to serve as a backup for Woodley Till. He took that fight against RDA and the tough finale. He took that fight against Damian Maia in Chile. He's taking these dangerous fights that no one wants uh, in in big in, in these risky fights of people coming off losses, being the company man, then he gets a title fight. That's what has to happen right now. And that's what Edwards is doing. Thompson, I get if, if they want to do Thompson Covington, I love it. If they want to do Burns and Kiesa moving forward, I love it. They're both big fans of each other. And of course, you got Vicente Luke. If he beats Tyron Woodley, like look what everyone that's being Tyron Woodley. They're all of a sudden big names. They're still big names right now. So if Luke adds himself to the mix too, I'm glad Josh brought up Carlos Khan because I don't know, but I know Josh uh, Carlos's last fight was the last on his contract. So if he resigned, there's a million fights I would not say no to watch Carlos Khan be in. So welterweight division just needs to be active in 2021. Josh, if you had the pen. Are you kind of working out these matchups? Because Leon's off the market now, fighting Bilal March 13th. Then we get the the Usman Mazadal thing, which is very likely to happen at this point. So we got Colby, we got Wonderboy, we got Burns, we got Kiesa. Maybe some of these other guys can creep in. You mentioned Carlos Condit. If you had the the almighty pen, how are you matchmaking this division moving forward? Uh, do Burns Covington, um, do Kiesa Thompson. Um, I, I like that. You know, then then we're like, we don't know where Chimaev steps in now. I'd like to see the young kids fight each other. You know, I think sometimes the UFC will pull it, the young contender up and comer against the fighter who's over the hill and too established. I, I think that matchmaking doesn't serve in a lot of cases, especially the division as competitive as 170. So so give me the Sean Brady's against the Miguel Baezas and uh, Shavkat Ramkanov. 
Sean Brady, you know, the, that Jake Matthews, like these kinds of fighters have to show up as well. And, and they can quickly jump the line if they make the cases that Kevin Hollins did uh, it, it last year. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the, the thinking that, that I'm looking at. It's kind of hard to screw up the matchmaking in this weight class. You, you can do it. I think the UFC messed up by not doing Leon Edwards and George Mosfidal when they had the chance the first time. That fight made so much sense on every different level possible, and, and they didn't. Obviously, Nate Diaz's interjection had a lot to do with it, and Nate's still around, too. We haven't brought him up. It's crazy. He kind of exists on his own island. But, you know, you stick him in this conversation against any of these names, anyone people will want to watch. Obviously, it's trickier because he's not going to want to fight anybody. So who do, who do you give him? Um, you know, maybe the maybe Covington is kind of interesting op, off of uh, opposite Diaz. Um, it really depends for him. But, you know, there are matches, as, as I said, as, as Jose said, just just get them to fight. The matchmaking is kind of will take care of itself. Get them active. They'll they'll make the case for themselves. The fans will determine a lot of this. So, you know, just step in the cage and fight and uh, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. I look forward to it because it's a it's a weight class with an incredible champion and a lot of talent underneath it. And that's always a formula for a lot of good. Yeah, I would agree. And. Kamar Usman is obviously the big winner on Saturday. I think number two was obviously Mazadal for getting the, the gift and the call it on the silver platter. I think number three in this division, Wonderboy Thompson. Everybody wants to see Wonderboy fight Usman now. I've seen so much of that. Usman versus Wonderboy, Usman versus Wonderboy. This is huge for him. Uh, lukewarm on, on those. All right. I mean, fair I like enough. Fight. I just don't think it'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> Not now. No, no. I think I think it turns into a stylistic nightmare unless Usman just sort of like is too physical for Wonder Boy and beats him up and, and ends up ends up putting him away. But that's not a fight that jumps out to me. It's particularly enthralling that I that I have to watch. It's a sort of just a stylistic matchup, I gotta say. Yeah. But if you're Kiesa and Wonder Boy right now and you listen to Colby Covington talk with our good friends at Submission Radio, you're like, oh boy, we might be getting up to that belt sooner than we might have uh, expected to. But we'll see what happens. Welterweight is an interesting story. We will move ahead. The point for round three goes to... Josh Gross, two to one. Two to one. Thank you. The polo horse, the polo horse, the designer shirt, got it done. Even though a lot of love for Jose's shirt, but uh, the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May seventeenth, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov, and Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We got to talk about this Saturday. The UFC is back in action. UFC Vegas 19. As of right now, we have a 15-fight extravaganza 
headlined by Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. This fight was supposed to happen in November. Blades tested positive for COVID-19, and now we get a nice little uh, President's Week gift in this heavyweight matchup. Now, normally, Jose, we look at this fight as a possible title eliminator since Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou are about to fight for the belt on March 27th. And Dana White has already come out and said, John Jones, who's moving up to heavyweight, the former light heavyweight champion of the world, is going to get the winner of the heavyweight title fight. So it's a tough spot for Blades and Lewis right now. Blades, especially, in my opinion, with the streak he's on. What are these guys fighting for on Saturday, Jose? Well, Curtis Blades is fighting to just stay relevant in the division. Like, he's already lost to Francis Ngannou twice, so that fight probably won't happen anytime soon. Uh, we do have the Cyril Gon-Gyrzinho fight, so maybe if, if Blades wins, he could fight He could fight the, the winner of that. I think regardless of what happens on Saturday, Derek Lewis fights Alistair Overeem next. Derek Lewis has already just called him out on both media days. Alistair Overeem has talked a lot of greasiness on Twitter whenever they fight. Uh, so I think that's the fight to make no, no matter what. They're also like like the, like the heavyweight division was held up by two men for the better part of three years uh unfortunately with injuries and all that kind of stuff with Stipe and dc and the and the trilogy for the greatest heavyweight ever and i do if john jones eventually whenever he does fight in heavyweight and he gets a title shot right away i have no problem with it because i think any any champion that was the champion and they changed divisions they didn't lose their belt i think they can skip the line no problem uh, John Jones, I want to see him fight Stipe. I want to see him fight France. So Curtis Blades just needs to stay relevant and keep winning because, yes, there are fights to make. He is, has to be the biggest Stipe Miocic fan in the world on Saturday. And if Stipe does win, he immediately becomes the biggest John Jones fan in the world because he needs uh, – if, if Stipe loses to John, they'll probably do the rematch because Stipe is the greatest heavyweight ever and they want to give Stipe, they want to give the greatest these, – these, these rematches all of the time. And if Francis beats Stipe, then, my God, that's another trilogy fight that might happen down the road. So uh, Curtis Blades is just fighting – because we just talked about it in the entire last round activity matters and just winning fights matter. And that's what Curtis plays needs to do. He said it himself on virtual media day, he'll get the belt eventually, but he's fighting for his family to get that paycheck. And he's going to take as little damage as possible in that route. So, Derek Lewis is fighting to fight Alistair Overing and Curtis Blades is fighting to stay relevant in the heavyweight division. What do you think, Josh? Because albeit not the best place for these guys to be in, you can dry your tears with $100 bills, I guess. What are these guys fighting for on Saturday? It's kind of crazy. You're 14 and two. You've won four in a row and you're fighting for relevance. You know, I, I get the point that you lost to Francis Ngannou twice. And that's that's a big mark. But, man, a lot of people lost to Francis Ngannou and did it badly. And, you know, they're, they're still trying to fight for relevance, I guess. Um, to me, he's fighting for more than that. Although he's never going to gain favor with fans. He's never going to be a guy that UFC feels like they can market or push. I mean, he is 100% grade A. I'm going to show up and do my thing. I don't care if you're bored or not, but if I win, that's all that matters. And that's that's okay, but it does put you behind a lot of hurdles in the UFC. And so there will be no rush to give him marketable fights. You know, what are you going to do, man? He just, you know, he just beat Alexander Volkov, and now Volkov's a guy that everybody's talking about, oh, my God, he could be the next contender, but he just lost. The, it's like it's very difficult to know what to do with a Curtis Blades because he can knock off a lot of really good fighters. But can he knock off the best? And that's the, that's the question. And you, you risk a lot by putting him in there because maybe he wins and you get a super boring champion that no one cares about. And that, that's a difficult thing. So I think that he has to fight not to be thrown into the gauntlet. He's got to do something that gets fans attracted or interested. 
And I don't mean like cut a promo or do, he's got to go in there and beat down Derek Lewis and make it look bad and not just wrestle him and hold him down and beat him positionally, but beat him up and make it look bloody and bad because that's the only way that he'll get the attention of the fans to get the attention of the UFC and move on past this idea that a 14 and two heavyweight who is damn good is fighting for relevance in a fight when he's won four in a row. It's unfortunate that that's the idea and it totally makes sense considering the reality of the UFC, but you know, he, he has to be fighting for more than that. And the only way that he can do it is not to fight for a points win against Derek Lewis, who can be taken down at will by anybody who can wrestle. He's got to do better than that. And, and we'll see if he's capable of it. But uh, really, that's what's riding on the line. I think the, the trajectory of like the next three years of, of, of uh, Blades, Curtis Blades career rides on his fight on Saturday. So that is the main event. Let us take a gander at the rest of the card. Co-main event, we got Caitlin Vieta versus Yana Kuninskaya. We got Charles Rosa versus Derek Minner in the featured spot. Alexi Olenek versus Chris Dacus. Phil Haas versus Nasser Dean. Imavov and Andre Arlovsky versus Tom Aspinall rounds out the main card. And then we have nine fights on the prelims. There are some fun names, some good prospects. We got some, uh, some Octagon debuts as well. Josh, when you look at this card from top to bottom, where would you gauge your interest level heading into Saturday night? Well, it's a, it's a night of UFC fights with a pretty compelling main event for me. Not the best main event, obviously, but a, a good compelling one. I think if you're, uh, I mean, it's 2021. We still got a pandemic and most people are staying in. So I'm watching. I don't know what the problem is. You know, it's a, it's a good night of fights. I, I think there is some interest here beyond that, obviously. Um, Tom Aspinall's look great. He really has. He's coming to the UFC and, and kind of look like he's somebody who's athletic enough and a unique enough heavyweight to do some damage, maybe. Um, obviously, fighting guy with a ton of experience in Andre Arlovsky, and Arlovsky's talking some crap about him, too, right? Um, so that's an interesting fight. Um, otherwise, you know, it's a typical UFC fight. The UFC card with uh, not enough fighters with Wikipedia pages for my liking. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, I still think uh, you'll get the action that mixed martial arts always deserves. Um, you know, we'll get six hours and, and guys like Jose, sorry, Jose, Jose. So used to Jose Aldo, Jose and, and you and everybody else will be working busy on Saturday night and the fans will be enjoying themselves. So a good card, nothing amazing, uh, but nothing to complain about either. What do you think, Jose? Where's, uh, where, where's your interest level at? I mean, we watch them all anyways. And a lot of times we saw this last year, the, the, the cards on paper, they don't, they don't look so hot. They deliver better than some of the cards that looked like on fire on paper. So what's your interest level for the Saturday? Uh, I'm pretty interested. Before I get into to why, I do want to say I'm really glad Josh brought up the there's a lot of fighters without Wikipedia pages on this card because I say that all of the time and everyone looks at me like, why does, what are you, who cares? Like, what's the big deal? I'm like, it's a thing. If you don't have a Wikipedia page, you got to do a lot. Like, that means you're not worthy enough to, like, to, for the, the casual audience to find you in Google. So thank you, Josh. For backing up I, yeah i've been saying for at least a decade but yeah I'm, I'm glad other people have been doing it too 100 <laughs> i say it all the time like you get a wikipedia page you made it anyway there's a lot of fun fights i'm excited for this card obviously charles rosa thank you casey one of my biggest detractors for the wikipedia arguments has finally come around uh really excited excited to see charles rosa fight his last fight 
was the first fight he ever won outside the city of Boston. So let's see what he can do in the UFC. Let's see what he can do after that. Uh, I, I, I was tentatively excited for this fight, but then after their media days, they kind of sold to me. Charles Rosa basically just said, there's levels to this, and Derek Minner is not on my level. And Derek Minner just went scorched earth on him. and was like, he fought a bunch of bums and then ran into Dennis Seaver. Like, what are you talking about? So any fight between unranked fighters that get me real excited, like outside of the main and co-main event, I'm about it. And Charles Rose is like obviously a New England guy. Mike is a New England guy. Guy's name is Boston Strong, so you got to tune in. Uh, Tom Aspinall, if he can win and get a Tyson Fury call out because they are training partners, if he can get Tyson Fury to mention him on Twitter, it's only going to like it's going to exponentially increase his stock in the eyes of fight fans because I think Tyson Fury is the, is the absolute best heavyweight. Uh, pugilist on planet earth right now and he's by far the most charismatic fighter in the world right now so that is and a gotta win first of all but anytime tyson fury can uh, tyson fury connection to the ufc is made i'm all about it obviously Alexi olenic is a thousand years old first fighter in the ufc to fight in four decades 90s 2000s 2010s 2020s uh, the, obviously i have to say phil haas because ak is not here to say it for me so a ton of great fights. Jakar Close is fighting. Violent Bob Ross. Jakar Close represents Arizona. Luis Pena is by far one of the most interesting characters in the UFC. I know that, that whole story of him meeting his biological father and brother for the first time. We're kind of past that, but he still brings it up frequently in his interview. So a ton of fun fights. Uh, but yeah, the main event's great. Co-main event is fine. It's, again, the Bantamweight division is what it is. Like, I know we don't like to use the word, but a win Two wins in a row, women's bantamweight, you're probably pretty close to a title shot. And so Kalen Vieta and Jan Skunitskaya are basically fighting to stay in that top five. So not the most exciting fight, but there's some intriguing matchups and names I have circled on my bout sheet. Some good debut, so, some good debuting fighters too. Finally, uh, Jared Vandera, after his uh, contender series win and that promo and a half, he is uh, debuting. Draco Rodriguez makes his debut. Casey O'Neill makes her debut. I'm very excited for that fight with Shauna Dobson. And then uh, Pat Sabatini, longtime uh, CFFC champion, makes his debut. He's fighting uh, Rafael Alves. So that should be fun. Uh, I'm, I like these cards. Don't sleep on them, ladies and gentlemen. You might just you know sit back, watch some bangers go down, eat a, eat a, eat a pie or something. In New England, it's going to be cold and snowy. So just sit back and enjoy. And speaking also, of competitive, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty confident there's going to be less than 15 fights on this card come fight night. <laughs> it happens like how we lost three fights in 48 hours the week of the of UFC 258. So, if uh, 15 fights might be 12 by by Saturday, unfortunately. It's very, it's very possible. We'll find out. I mean, usually the scale is a is a is an indicator of what's to come. We'll see what happens tomorrow morning, but. Uh, Speaking of competitive bangers, we have one right here. The point for round four goes to... Jose Youngs. He has tied things up. The challenger. Wow, shocking. I know. Has anyone ever won this show 3-1? Never. <laughs> Never. Listen, we're, we're, we're trying to... <laughs> we're having fun with this all right but listen it's it, mostly because i'm selfish i just want to see what these knockout rounds are like we're trying new things josh you actually helped with this in a way uh, yeah. so if, if, if you're new to the show the knockout round 
leaves it down to one question. It's going to decide it all. We are introducing a new segment this week to the knockout round, which I will explain shortly, but each participant will answer a question. They have no idea what it is. They'll have 60 seconds to give their response. Once they have done that, along with your help, the viewers, we will turn it over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, E. Casey Lydon, and he will render the final decision. Now, before we reveal this new segment, Josh Gross, you are the champion. You decide whether you'd like to go first or pass it on over to Jose. I'm going to stick with it. I went second last week. I'll go second this week. So you first. Okay. Now it really doesn't matter this week because of this new, this new segment. For the second week in a row, it does not matter whether you go first or last. We're introducing a new segment called Pick Your Poison, Jose. There are two questions here. One of you will answer one question. The other will answer the other question. There were six options. Two of them were randomly selected before the show. So, Jose, would you like to open door number one or door number two for your question? Two. All right, here we go. Here is your question, Jose. Bellator has announced that they are putting together their own ranking system, which includes multiple members of the MMA media, which is pretty much exactly like the UFC is doing. There are some variations. It's going to be a top 10 across the divisions, some guidelines towards those, which you may have seen on our site, MMAfighting.com. They're going to do a pound for pound men's list, a pound for pound women's list. The question is, was this the right move to do this with the media when we have seen so many issues this has caused with the UFC rankings. What is your overall reaction to this news from Bellator in regards to its new ranking systems? We have one minute on the clock. Your time starts now. I think it is not a good idea for the media to do it. I think Josh is is, is going to be in agreement with me. Anytime a promoter is holding a, a rankings for their one specific promotion, it's all it is. It's marketing. Like, oh, you can say the number three is fighting the number five. The journal, journalists should not have say in, in that. If there is a consensus like a, like college football has the AP rankings, if there was that, then I would get it. And you could rank Patricio Pitbull and Max Holloway and Volkanovski and AJ McKee all in one big ranking. Then I get it. But just a Bellator ranking, just a UFC ranking, I don't like the idea of either because then all of a sudden we have a guy that's on like a five-fight win streak and he's complaining he's not number 10. And then that is affecting his bottom line. And I, I guess the UFC changed how it was supposed to be where the higher your ranks, the more you get paid from the Reebok deal. They thankfully got rid of that. I still want nothing to do with the rankings. I get why Bellator wants to do it. And I get why Scott Coker wants to do it. But if they ask me, I would say no. And I hope other journalists do too. All right. Jose, thank you for your well thought out. Well, not really well thought out just because you got it off the top of the dome. Still well thought out on the top of the dome. But uh, we go to the champion and there is only one other, one other option here, Josh Gross. I bet there's a part of you that wishes that uh, you could answer this question as well. But uh Behind the door is a very interesting question. It's a, it's 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 a little bit different. It's a fun it's a fun kind of barbershop conversation that you're going to have with yourself and me and and Casey Lydon. We have five title fights coming up in the month of March on the schedule. We have Blahovich versus Adesanya. We got Nunes versus Anderson. Jan versus Sterling. Miocic versus Ngannou. Volkanovski versus Ortega. Based purely on the matchups themselves, Josh, not the placing on the card or the popularity of the fighters, which of these five title fights is the most intriguing in your eyes from a competitive standpoint and why? 60 seconds are on the clock. Your time starts now. 
Um, there are a few of those that I don't find competitively intriguing or I'm confused by. Um, but the clear answer is Steve Miocic and Francis Ngannou. I mean, Francis Ngannou is uh, about as scary a person who's ever walked the face of the earth. And the last time he stepped in the cage with Steve Miocic, he was totally nullified and made to look like a beginner, like an amateur, um, a beginner. He didn't know what he, he didn't know what to do. Um, has he found any answer for that? Because if he has, then he has an opportunity to stop the title run of the longest reigning champion in the UFC heavyweight division, a historic fighter. And that's a big deal. I, I mean, yes, the heavyweight division carries with it a certain cachet that you, other divisions don't and you sort of forget, but it, it matters a lot. Even without that, Stipe Miocic fighting a killer like Francis Ngannou, who's got everything to win and has to find a way to win. That's it. That's the answer. All right. We have a lot to look forward to uh, in the next month or so. We have heard the answers. We're going to wait for the uh, the viewer votes and their comments to come in uh, while we're waiting for that to happen. Just a heads up, we will have you covered for UFC Vegas 19 here at MMA Fighting. We'll have our live preview show tomorrow afternoon, so stay tuned for that. We'll have the pre-show Q&A 30 minutes before the first fight kicks off. I believe it's at 4.30 Eastern, which I'm digging, digging the early start time. Live post-fight show, and then AK and I are back on Sunday with our matchmaking podcast. On to the next one. So basically keep it locked here on MMAfighting.com. Okay, I think I've wasted enough time letting these votes chime in here. I know uh, we're on a little bit of a delay. With that said, Casey, I'm giving you the hot tag, my man. Tough decision on your shoulders. Who's the champ? It's a tough one. I mean, we had two different questions for these gentlemen, so I have to... Ooh, boy. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Your winner. And new Jose oh, Youngs. Oh, man. <laughs> Josh is not happy. <laughs> Not happy. Congratulations, Jose. Congratulations. I, I agree with everything you said about Casey's judging in the beginning of the show. It's absolutely ridiculous. Everyone, <laughs> you're you're not see you're a you are a BTL champion, but you're not a real BTA BTL like lifer until Casey screws you out of a win. So welcome to the club, friend. <laughs> Happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, man. All right, Jose. First appearance of 2021. You've uh, appealed to Casey's good graces. And with that, you get 30 seconds to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, good, bad, and different in the sport of MMA. Man, I had was not prepared. So I'm going to address certain people that like to cover media, like cover fights, whether they're there on scene or doing it from their couch or this and that. Let's try to have some sort of professionalism when you're covering an event. Don't say, don't tweet, don't all this stuff. Like, oh, I slept through the prelims and now I'm here for the main card. No, if you want to put in the work and become an actual MMA journalist, 
do the work. Like everyone asked him, Josh, I'm sure, you, I know I've asked you when I was in college, like how do you become an MMA media member? My answer is to put in the work and put in the legwork and don't take shortcuts. Don't try to join the top sites right away. You gotta start at the bottom and work your way up and put in the, just do your job and do it well and don't cut corners and don't try to grease palms and all of a sudden join the big leagues. Put in the work. I only say that because I got three or four questions about that today. Like, what advice do you have to become an A media member? Do you, as Bill Belichick has said, just do your job and do it well, and people will notice. That's what I have to say. I'm, that's been on my mind for a bit, and it just got expedited today because I got asked that question by three different people. Nicely done, Jose. And you're using the the greatest head coach of all time as a reference from your oh, from your that, favorite team, the New England that Patriots. Is not, that is just not true at all. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, Josh, what, what do you think about a nice little learning lesson for those uh, coming up in the sport right now? What, what, what do you want to say in terms of advice for the uh, up and coming journalist or uh, or journalist uh, in training, so to speak? Um, understand what you're trying to accomplish and and what it means to be a reporter and a journalist and how you're actually interacting with the lives of people who are engaged in their career and their futures and everything that they're doing really means a lot to them. And you have to owe them the respect to cover them fairly and honestly. And you have to operate in a certain way where you don't care about what they think about you as long as you didn't do anything defamatory or slanderous. If you are true to your ethics and you work hard, uh, this is a good business to be in because it's fulfilling. It's difficult. Sometimes it can be hard to make a paycheck. I can speak from personal experience. Um, but if you operate in the right way, the opportunities will come. I've seen that with a lot of young reporters in this business. And I hope to continue to see that because this sport is extremely interesting to cover. There's a long way to go and we need good reporters in the space. So I, I would say if you're interested at all, explore that interest, pursue it and be sincere about it. You got to work hard like anything else. Well said. By both I'll of you, gentlemen. Josh, you will be back for sure. No doubt about that. One of our favorites in the history of this program. No doubt about that. One of the OGs. Thank you for coming on the last several weeks, Josh. We'll definitely get you back. Probably Congratulations to Jose. In my mind. Probably the OG yeah. in my mind. The captain of the ship. But that'll do it. Uh, that'll do it for us this week on Between the Links. Thank you for checking us out once again. You all are the real MVP. So for Josh, Jose, Judge Casey Lydon, the iconic voice of somebody i don't know if it's gonna be esther or mr esther but uh they're gonna take you on home i am mike Hack. we'll see you back here next thursday between the links good night everybody this has been between the links with your host mr mike heck don't forget to click the subscribe button thanks for watching you're listening to the vox media podcast network Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombe makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.